This is the Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 733, my interview with Warren Berger. Enjoy. G'day, guys, and welcome to this week's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Warren Berger. He's written a few cool books, man. The first one that I read was A More Beautiful Question. I actually did a review on that book. You can check it out at thehiddenwire.com, episode 238. What an amazing book. I read that, and I said this in the interview, actually, but I read that coming back from Japan on the plane and um, read it going back as well, finished the book in that trip, and it was just an amazing book, very inspirational, but um, very thought-provoking as well. It left me quite inspired and uplifted, so I had to get him on the show, and today we are talking about the power of questions, how the power of inquiry to help us create breakthrough ideas, but to help us to live and grow and continue that progress of learning. I think that's what it really comes down to, which I think is what we get to by the end of this interview as well. Let me know what you think, guys. Jump on to thehiddenwire.com. Leave your reviews and comments there. That is episode 733 with Warren Berger. And also reach out to Warren. Let him know what you thought as well. That'd be great. Guys, any questions, connect with me online at thehiddenwire.com. You can connect with me also on Facebook, The Hidden Why, and through Messenger there. Other than that, guys, enjoy this interview and enjoy your day. Cheers. Hello, Warren, and welcome to The Hidden Why Podcast. How are you? Ah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. We've got through a couple of little uh, tech issues there, but here we are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And uh, how's your day been so far, Matt? I assume you're, you're coming into the afternoon. I don't actually know where you reside, but I assume it's in the U.S.? Yeah, I'm in the New York area, and we're just about at the end of day here. It's around uh, uh, going on 6 o'clock, and uh, it's a rainy day in, uh, in New York. So what does a typical day look like for Warren Berger in New York? I mean, you're a writer. Um, what does a day look like for you? Uh, it's a combination of things. Um, these days I'm, uh, I'm writing a lot of blog posts to sort of get the word out about my new book. So that takes up time. Um, I'm working with a couple of, uh, corporate clients that have, uh, hired me to help them with projects that have to do with questioning to get the people at the company to ask more questions so I'm working on a couple of those kinds of things and, uh, and, and I was beginning to think about uh, a new book, which will be more geared to schools and the education market uh, and bringing more questioning into the classroom. So yeah. those, are the things, um, those are the things I'm working. I'm juggling about three or four things. So a typical day for you, like what do you, what do your mornings look like and your routines? Do you have like strong routines or do you just go with the flow? I'm pretty much going with the flow, although sometimes when I'm in writing mode, what I try to do is take care of all my business in the morning in terms of phone calls and answering emails and connecting with people and doing all that kind of stuff. And then I will oftentimes block off a few hours in the afternoon and go to a quiet office where I unhook uh, and disconnect and I try to write for three hours. Wow, so okay. that's that's the only way that I will structure. That's the only thing I do that's fairly consistent is I try to find those three-hour blocks um, to do some quiet uh, writing without any internet uh, connection at all. Yeah, nice. And I know um, yeah, a lot of people choose to write, as, as far as I know, or well, as far as I've heard, in the mornings. 
um, whereas you choose to write in the afternoon. Is there a reason for that that suits you better? Uh, yeah, I just feel more, I think I feel more comfortable when I've gotten up in the morning, connected with a lot of people, solved problems, um, you know, taken care of business. And then I feel like I free myself up in the latter part of the day to just write and not worry about anything. Yeah. Okay. I like it. And look, I've, I've connected with you uh, for a couple of reasons because you've got a new book coming out, The Book of Beautiful Questions. Um, out in Australia, I believe you said um, very soon, is next week, something like that. Yeah, I think early, early February. Early February. Be yeah, so yeah. just um, about the time this, this podcast goes live, actually. And the book I've read was A More Beautiful Question, and I absolutely loved it. I actually remember I was on a plane uh, traveling from Japan back to Australia, um, and I read it flying here and then flying home. Um, and it was just an amazing book. It really um, really inspired me, actually. Um, not only it taught me a few things about questions and how to perhaps ask better questions, but just it, it felt inspiring. It felted, I felt uplifted after reading it. Yeah, well, the idea behind the book is really just to, you know, make people think about the act of questioning in a new way, you know, to, to appreciate it yeah. maybe in a, in, a, in a new way. And um, because obviously we all ask questions and we've all been asking questions since we were kids. And um, in, in one way, it's something we all take for granted. And it's kind of like breathing, you know, but um, but in another way, it's so powerful. Uh, the, just the, the act of questioning can do so many things. It can help you in so many ways. It can help you to be creative. It can help you to solve problems. Uh, it can help you to communicate better with other people. So, um, so, you know, the book was really just designed to make you appreciate the, this power, uh, this tool that we all have, and think about how you might be using it a little more and a little more effectively. Yeah. And I like the way you structured that book, A More Beautiful Question, because you structured it around, you know, our professional lives, um, whether it be at work or, or other, um, but also how we could use this question for, you know, life purpose and legacy questions. Um, and you yeah. also gave a good explanation of why the power of questions is is so important in life um, at the very start. And, and more importantly, why we stop asking questions, which is interesting because now you're going on to write that, that third book or fourth book, actually, because you've got three now, don't you? Glimmer, More Beautiful yeah, Question uh-huh. and The Book of Beautiful Questions. Um, and the third book is targeted sort of more at school children, um, I assume, to encourage um, and, and entice the teachers to as well, encourage yeah. children to continue asking questions and not be shut down. Can you, can you explain that a little bit in your research why do we stop asking questions and, and where does that happen? Yeah, it seems to happen some, somewhere around age five or six. That's where it begins to happen. And then it's a decline for many young people that, that starts at five or six and then continues you know, in, into the teen years. And, uh, and then a lot of times just continues into adulthood uh, where we, we – still aren't questioning the way we did when we were kids, uh, when we were young kids. And, and, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of reasons for it. I think there, it's a combination of factors Hmm. that seem to cause it. Um, you know, when we're very young, age four or five, and that's when we're at our peak, our peak questioning, uh, period. Um, 
we don't feel at all self-conscious about asking questions. And a lot of times our questions are directed to our parents and we're, we're in kind of a safe environment where it's safe to question. And then, you know, children go to school, the environment starts to change. Suddenly they're surrounded by peers. Uh, they feel a little pressure maybe. Um, and so they don't, they, they, you, you know, you begin to withhold your questions more. And then also I believe that in, in a lot of education um, systems, um, there isn't a, uh, there isn't a reward for questioning. Hmm. Um, the, all the rewards are for giving the answers, um, you know, for memorizing answers and then giving them back or for answering questions that the teacher asks. But there's very little reward for you when you ask a question. Hmm. So I think children begin to devalue questions pretty early. They realize they're not going to get anything out of it. Uh, they're not going to get rewarded. And they may sometimes be um, – it may be seen as a weakness because they're admitting they don't know something. So, um, so all of these factors kind of come together and, and they seem to, uh, suppress questioning. Uh, they, they get us out of the habit of asking lots of questions. Hmm. And, um, and that's, that's one of the things in, in my new, uh, or in, in my education book that I'll be doing is to talk about, um, and I think I talked about this a little bit in a more beautiful question too, in the, in the book, a more beautiful question. Um, I talked a little bit about how, you know, teachers actually have to make an effort to encourage students to ask questions. And there are things they can do. They can have exercises where the whole point is to come up with lots of questions or they can celebrate good questions in the classroom, you know, put good questions up on the wall. Um, but there are things that teachers can do to to encourage that habit. Hmm. It's um, and I do remember you actually talking about that in the in the book, um, how to encourage you know children to ask more questions. I've got a couple of kids myself, and I remember at the time reading, and I probably I probably relaxed a little bit since reading, to be honest. But right, right. I came back excited and, and really tried to. I was talking to my niece and nephew at the time in a car trip and I was trying to encourage them to keep asking questions, you know, to keep delving deep, um, yeah. which makes me wonder, like, you know, when whether at school or whether at home, kids ask these questions and perhaps it's not because, um, I don't know, we don't want to answer them, but maybe, yeah, time constraints, um, we, we don't answer them out of laziness or we're just too busy or otherwise perhaps even as adults we don't know the answers so to save face we sort of just yeah. avoid avoid the um the answer or the question altogether is that is that the case yeah yeah that's often the case and it's it's even the case with teachers in the in the classroom sometimes they may be concerned that you know the students will ask questions that they can't answer and you know one of the things that that one of the messages i try to put out there is that it's okay to not have the answer hmm. to uh to the questions, because really, um, there are lots of things you can do if you don't have the answer to the question. You can you can say to the student, um, "That's a really great question, and honestly, I don't know." And we should explore this together. You know, how how could we, how how might we go about you know looking for an answer to this question? And so you you show them by doing that, you show them that um, you know you don't always have answers to questions, but you can always try to find an answer. You can always, um, 
you know, go on some kind of a journey to try to figure something out. Mm. So really good. That's actually a really good model to to um, to demonstrate to children is it's not about having instant answers always at your fingertips. It's about being willing to say, you know, if I don't have an answer, well, what can I do to um, to start to to look for it? It's to, to try to work on this question. Yeah. I love that actually, and I think that encourages two things. Number one, it, it's all about problem solving, which is going to be a powerful uh, resource moving into the future because things changing so quick. Um, but it also yeah. seems to encourage collaboration. And I think you know, if a, if a teacher or an adult or a parent could come back with a counter question, um, yeah, I don't know the answer. That's great. Let's work on this together and and you know make it a fun activity where we can both sort of try and figure out the answer. Um, and that's going to you know again encourage that collaboratively. Um, and ability yeah, and to solve problems. The way, that's the way that these, you know, young people are going to have to work in the future, uh, you know, in their careers and in their jobs. They're going to have to be able to uh, ask questions that don't have easy answers and then collaborate with people to try to find those answers. And um, that's what innovation is all about today. And uh, and so I think the the earlier we can get that message to, to, to young people, the better, Mm. because a lot of times what, one of the, one of the mistakes that, that, um, one of the things that is a result of the Google era that we live in is this misconception that, um, you know, any question can be answered just by punching in a few keys on your keyboard and that, you know, you will, you will be able to get an answer to anything in, in one minute. And, um, that's not, you know, that's not a good lesson for young people to, to learn because, you know, the hardest questions can't be answered on Google. You know, the, the, the questions that are individualized to you or the questions that uh, involve problems that haven't been solved yet. Um, you can't look that stuff up. But yet, those are very important questions. Mm. So, so what young people have to learn is that some of the best questions out there are ones that you can't find an easy answer to. Mm. You, will have to you will have to take ownership of that question and stay with it and work on it and collaborate with other people, find other smart people who can help you. The, um, you know, those are the questions that are going to have a really big payoff if you if you can get to an answer yeah absolutely the um the idea of collaborative questioning i think kind of overcomes the obstacle of being feared of ridicule like if you ask a, a stupid question or the wrong question which i don't think there really is um mm. you know in the schooling system definitely so perhaps by and i just actually talked to a gentleman this morning who's got a very successful um company but it's all about the culture that he's created there and really mm. all all the team that everyone works collaboratively together um mm-hmm. which i think will help don't you think it will help that that fear of of asking a, a wrong question or being ridiculed for your question and not caring yeah. so much about getting a reward for asking a brilliant right. question absolutely yeah i i think the more you can have um and, and and some of the exercises that i'm seeing being done in in schools now around questioning um, they involve having having groups of of children come up with questions together, and then they work on that question together as a group. So, 
everyone has a, a bit of shared ownership in that question. And, um, and that does all kinds of great things. You know, mm-hmm. it teaches collaboration skills. It, it teaches you that, that the hardest things can be tackled as a project and, and the, and you can work with other people and each person brings different, you know, ideas and strengths and, uh, you know, this is such an important lesson to be teaching uh, young people about solving problems and how you, you don't necessarily have to do it on your own. It's, it's oftentimes a group effort. So, uh, so yeah, I think these are all really positive things that are happening in, um, in the business world. We're seeing, yeah. we're seeing the business world move in this direction and we're seeing education uh, beginning to move in this direction. Yeah, and I think, you know, humanity has evolved because of our ability to work together and to, you know, solve problems together. That's our ability to progress, yeah? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But, we, you know, we lose sight of that sometimes and we, we tend to feel like, you know, it's, um, you know, that everything is about one person coming up with a, a solution to, to, to things. And, uh, you know, we, I think sometimes the culture um, has, a, has a deep need for um, individual heroes, right? And and so uh, a lot of the stories that uh, that uh, about breakthroughs or successes seem to focus on one person, you know, who yeah. came up with an idea yeah. somewhere. And uh, and you know, if if you if you really look into those stories, you know, oftentimes you'll find that that person had quite a bit of help, um, and there were there were people, uh, you know, collaborating at various stages of that idea. Uh, it may have been there may have been one person who was the driving force. But um, but there were lots of people involved and and you know contributing in some way. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting because I was just thinking about the 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 tendency for individualistic pursuits in life, and that's yeah part of the problem. I think is we're all so involved in the self that we forget about that collaboration and that ability to work with others, and um, so self centered, I suppose, in, in our pursuits. Um, but yeah, you do. You look at like you know Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or any of these people out there. They have these amazing teams behind them that collaboratively work to make those companies, you know, such the companies that they are. Um, part of part of the real genius of those people is their ability to bring out the best in other people. You know, um, uh, so so it's not just their own genius. It's their it's their ability to find really good people to work with. And then inspire those people, and then somehow bring out the best in those people. And yeah, um, yeah. what about someone like um, Leonardo uh, da Vinci, for example? You know, I, I read his bio by uh, Walter Isaacson, and he seems like a guy that was very much in his own mind, in his in his own work, uh, very much yeah. about you know asking questions and not so much about yeah. collaboration. Do you see that as well, or is there something I'm missing? Yeah, well, well, I, I think um, you know, particularly in art, if we're talking about his art, um, art can be a very solo pursuit. Mm. Uh, so, I, so I think art is the exception sometimes. Although we also see we see forms of art that are also collaborative, but um, but there's definitely um, individual art uh, is is probably the the dominant um, a form of art, right? And um, and so I think that that's probably an exception to some of these um, to some of these collaborative trends. Yeah. Uh, although I think even you know if, when when we talk about engineering, you know, uh, the, 
which Leonardo was obviously a great engineer as well as a great artist and a great inventor. Um, when you're in that field of, of inventing or engineering, I think you really have to collaborate because um, it, it, there are very few things that you can um, you know, engineer and, and, and create from start to finish without, without help from people. And, um, you know, I just think that's much more of a collaborative area and, and certainly being in the business world in any way is, um, is very collaborative. Um, even me as a writer, you know, so many of the things I do are collaborative and they involve editors and various people working with me on a, on a project. Uh, when I do a book, there are tons of people involved in that book, even though my name is on the book. Yeah. Um, so, so I think in so many endeavors, uh, it, it is about a, co- a collaborative um, effort. And probably one of the rare exceptions is, let's say, a painter who does uh, his or her own paintings. That's pretty much a solo. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much a solo endeavor. Yeah, yeah, but then I guess you could sort of take that a little bit deeper and think, well, they're, they're looking at other other works and being inspired in their own way, and and probably even seeking, yeah, you know, feedback from the market to to see how it's appreciated, yeah, which they're is being... collaborative in itself, isn't it? And then the other thing. The other area where they're collaborating is is everything outside the actual painting. So so they if they're going to do something with that painting, if they're going to get it out there into the world, yeah, in some way, you know, that's when they they need they need partners and collaborators to figure out how to do a gallery show and how to how to you know create attention for that for that painting. Uh, this is why I mean, so many solo artists you know end up as as starving artists because they may be absolutely brilliant at their work, at the creation of the piece of art, but they have no idea how to, um, you know, how to get it out there into the world. Hmm. So, so I, with, with artists, a lot of times the collaboration happens once they finish the piece of art, uh, then it becomes a tremendous collaborative effort to say, what happens with this piece of art now? Where does it go? How does it, how does it find its way to the people who are going to like it? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's really important, and you see that so often. You know, artists out there that can't get their beautiful work um, to the people. Right. Um, right. What is the link between curiosity and and you know asking questions? Because I'm, I'm assuming there's a link there, and curiosity yes. I feel is is the inspiration to ask questions. And Leonardo da Vinci yes. was very curious, and he continued asking yeah. questions off his curiosity. But then I'm thinking about you know, our education conversation and, you know, children are so curious. I'm still curious myself at 37 and, um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, yeah well, it gets shut down a little bit, I, doesn't it? I think, um, you know, what the, uh, the analogy I've been using, and I can't even remember whether I originated this or borrowed it from someone. I think I borrowed it from someone, but, um, the analogy I like is that, um, uh, curiosity is like an itch and, uh, questioning is the way we scratch it. So, um, you know, you have this, this itch or this desire, you have this desire to know something that's curiosity. Uh, questioning is how you begin to, uh, satisfy that desire. It's the tool that you use. Um, it's the back scratcher, (laughs) if you will, uh, that allows you to, um, to, to satisfy that, uh, that, that urge to know. Mm. So the, t- the two are very different. They're, it's not the same thing, but they are uh, dependent on each other and related 
to each other, uh, very much tied to each other. Yeah, okay. So curiosity triggers the question. We ask the questions that get shut down because someone can't answer it or someone's not interested or we're afraid of getting ridiculed and therefore that depletes our curiosity. So we then just start to conform and just accept the direction that life takes us. Yeah, another way to think of it is that curiosity is the condition and, um, and questioning is the behavior or the action that results from that condition. Um, or maybe it doesn't result. Maybe we just, we are curious, but we never take any action about it. We never ask any questions. We just stay curious in, within our own heads and we don't share it with the world or we don't, we don't express it in any way. That is what I think is happening with children in the classroom. Um, it's not that their curiosity goes away. Um, it's that they don't do anything. They don't, they don't express the curiosity. They don't use that tool, that questioning tool to express their curiosity. So they just withhold it. Um, they just keep it inside them. Um, but I do believe that, that most children and most people are curious. I, I, I think that's a, it's part of the human condition where mm. most of us are naturally, naturally curious and, um, uh, the curiosity researchers say that curiosity is a state. It's not a trait. So it is, um, it's not something you either have or you don't, you know, they say, we often make the mistake of saying, Oh, he's a very curious person or or, or, she is not a very curious person. It's not really true. Mm. Um, we're all curious, but that curiosity will either come out or it won't come out depending on our environment um, depending on our attitudes and the attitudes of the people around us. Yeah, yeah, so true. How do we, and again, I guess it's about encouraging people to, to ask questions, but how do we encourage then curiosity and how do we create that environment to allow individuals to express them their curiosity? Yeah, I think it's by removing fear. Um, it's, it's by removing any of the negative um, feelings that would cause someone to suppress their curiosity or keep it to themselves. Um, usually that's, that will be because of insecurity, because of fear, um, because of pressure. Uh, so those kinds of negative, um, uh, uh, those kind of negative conditions work against curiosity and they work against questioning. So that's why you see in a classroom, you know, it's so important to create that comfort level where, you know, where people don't feel threatened. Um, on the other hand, you don't want it to be too comfortable yeah. <laughs> because curiosity also thrives sometimes when we're not, we, we, you don't want people to feel bored. Um, you want them to be stimulated, but you don't want them to feel anxious or afraid. Um, fear is a, is a, seems to be a killer of curiosity and Mm. a killer of questioning. So any way that we can identify what might be causing fear or anxiety and, and lessen it is, is a good thing to do, whether you're in a company, uh, uh, or whether you're, uh, in a school trying to create a, a good classroom environment. Yeah. And I suppose that, that, you know, that, that idea of having, that support uh, or supporting environment um, or mm. people within that environment is important, but even the environment itself, you know, to have it stimulating enough to 
to get that curiosity, creativity sort of flair sort of flowing um, because, yeah. you know, boring certainly won't help that. And perhaps that's a bit of the problem as well, you know, stuck in, in indoors, in houses, in front of TVs, computer screens, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, rather than, you know, putting people out in the environment even, uh, going yeah, for a hike, looking at an engine, you know, doing whatever right. you can. Yeah, part of curiosity too is it's a, it's a, it's it is affected by what's going on around you in, mm. in terms of stimulus, yeah. and and the, the more stimulating things uh, you can be exposed to, the more that will um, you know um, uh, sort of feed your curiosity. So um, so it's an interesting thing. You're you're striving for this environment that is both stimulating and um, and um, safe, stimulating and safe at yeah. the same time. But not too safe and not too overstimulating right. either. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, bit a, there's of a balance a nice, there. Yeah, you're trying to go for a balance. Yeah. So what is it? Um, you know, I felt this in my in my twenties, uh, and I see it around me that, and, and perhaps it's just created through this process of our education and fear of asking questions or just you know not asking questions. It feels like as people move into adulthood, they they seem to think they know everything. Is that? a part of the problem why we don't ask questions because we think, you know, I don't need to explore that. I already know the answer or, or feel satisfied enough about that. I'm in acceptance basically. Yeah, that's a big, um, you know, when I, when I talk about the enemies of questioning, um, a big one is knowledge, you know, knowledge, <laughs> which, which, you know, is kind of funny, right? Because we think of knowledge as totally a positive thing, right? Hmm. But in a, in a way, knowledge can, can be a negative thing if it, if it becomes the enemy of curiosity and questioning. So if, if you feel very satisfied in your knowledge, if you feel too comfortable in your knowledge, as if you've, you've kind of got the whole thing figured out, um, that's when you get into trouble because you then fall into that trap of, uh, the, the trap of expertise where, you know, you, you feel like you've figured out the game and you don't need to really, question anymore or learn anymore but meanwhile what you don't what you may not realize is that the game that you thought you'd figured out is changing all the time yeah and or perhaps it's more complex than you ever realized in the first place and so you think you know more than you actually know Hmm. and so when people become content in their knowledge you know, they're making a big mistake because they, they're overestimating their knowledge, first of all, and they're not taking into account that their knowledge is, um, is becoming obsolete every day. You know, that what you know, uh, what you knew yesterday is in some ways might be less true today than it was yesterday, uh, but just because things have changed. You mm. know, some of, the answers, some of the answers you had yesterday are a little bit less valid today. Because of because of a world that is in you know constant uh, change. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, you know that's many people go through like a midlife crisis or something like that. They get a curveball thrown at them. They became complacent, right. you know, in their comfort of of knowledge, thinking they knew everything, and they stopped yeah. asking questions and stopped being curious and stopped being open to different ways. And uh, in that process, right. when that curveball comes in, boom, <laughs> shakes things up a bit. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to. Um, you know, to, to, in the education world, to create what, what is sometimes referred to as a lifelong learner, right? Yeah. yeah. Someone who, someone who is going to not just, they're not just going through school so that they can absorb a certain amount of information, 
they're going through school so they can learn how to learn. Hmm. And then the idea is once they get out of school, they'll keep learning. Right? They, they, will have, they will have learned this skill of learning how to learn, and they'll use it the rest of their lives. And if you can do that, then you're much better able to deal with that changing world, um, you know, because you're learning all the time. You're learning when you're 40. You're learning when you're 50. And so as the world is changing around you, you're still in that learning mode. Uh, you haven't shut it down. Now, the problem is, you know, the other approach that we used to have years ago was this crazy idea that, you know, your education stops once you leave school, you know, that, that you go through a certain amount of education mm. until you're t- 21 years old, and then you're all set. You know, you don't really have to learn that much anymore because you, you've had your education. So that was kind of the old model. Yeah. And um, it probably never made sense, right? It was probably always a bad idea. But it certainly doesn't make sense today because today is with all the change that's going on to think that you can stop, you know, or, or dramatically reduce your learning at a certain point when you're 25 years or 30 years old or whatever is just crazy. It's, it's going to get you into a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I, I certainly <laughs> I thought when, once I finished school, university, that that was it. That's my education done. Now it's work. And I guess yeah. it's, not really, it's not really talked about in that sense that, you know, this is education, but it's also work. And after this, you're also going to have to work and you're also going to have to continue learning. You yeah. Know, it's yeah. Not, there's, there's certainly no bridge between the two, it seems. And you have to get comfortable. I think people have to get comfortable with that because there, is a, there was an idea in the, that old model of where you learn, 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 you become an expert, and then you just ride on your expertise for 20 years or 30 years. Well, people had a certain comfort in that model because they feel like, okay, now I know what I'm doing. Now I'm an expert in something, so I don't have to worry anymore. Hmm. Uh, and I think when we shift to this other model, it says, no, 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 you're a, you're a lifelong learner. You're never really an expert. You're always going to have to be relearning and, and learning new things. Um, that creates a certain discomfort in people because they say, oh, gosh, you know, I thought I was done with that, you know. I don't want to keep learning. I don't want to have to feel like I'm never an expert. I'm ne- I've never got it figured out. But, you know, that's sort of the reality we're in. And, and it's um, I, I think people have to get comfortable with the uncertainty. They have to try to get comfortable with that new way of approaching life where you, 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 you don't ride on your expertise. You keep learning. You keep growing. Um, you keep trying to learn new things. Um, and, and embrace the, um, the discomfort that comes with that because there's also a lot of positive feelings that come with that. I mean, it feels good to learn. It feels good. It feels good to be curious. So, you know, there's a balance. Yeah. There's a little bit of, a little bit of uncertainty because you don't have all the answers, but there's also a lot of good feelings associated with learning and curiosity. Yeah. I think, I think growth or learning is a, is a life principle. Um, and that yeah. we need to practice that every day, that ability to learn. And like you said, you know, going out there and learning something, you're having that curiosity, it really does create this sense of accomplishment, this sense of significance and, and meaning in life and also happiness, um, I think, from, you know, asking really good questions. Um, I had a question about questions there for a second and it's just left me. 
Mark, come Questions back. will do that. Sometimes they'll do that to you. They'll just abandon you. <laughs> if you don't ask right away, they just they just vanish into the ether. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> so let's come back. The um, you know questioning at certainly at a maybe not at a young age, but um, perhaps any age. I don't really know, but having the confidence to ask questions within. Um, and externally, but within as well, can be sometimes confronting because when you ask the questions and you really search for the answer and you go, holy shit, I don't actually know the answer, that can yeah. be quite uncomfortable for people. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the reasons people avoid doing it. They avoid asking themselves hard questions or, or, or important questions, you know, about, um, you know, why am, I, uh, why am I on the career track I'm on? You know, you, you see so many people who, who get onto a track or a, a, a certain lifestyle and they just do it, you know, they, but they don't ever like step back and ask themselves, you know, is this really the right track? You know, I, I started doing this thing straight out of college. I never really thought about it. Am I doing the right thing? So um, people are afraid sometimes to step back and ask those um, difficult uh, uh, questions because, as you said, they fear that they may not have the, a, an answer to it, and um, and uh, I I think that's uh, that's something we have to overcome that fear because it's okay to not have it's okay to ask big questions that don't have an immediate answer. In fact, if it's a, if it's a big question, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, the really important questions don't have easy answers. You can't look it up on Google. You probably don't already know the answer in your head. So they're really worthwhile questions to ask, whether it's about your career or whether it's about solving a problem you've noticed. Um, they don't have easy answers, and we should um, embrace that. You know, we should embrace the fact when, when we see that there's not an easy answer, we should actually feel good about that because now we know we've got a good question. You know, now we know we've got a worthwhile question. <laughs> Yeah. If, if it's got an easy answer, you know, then it's not that great a question, right? Then it's million other people, hmm. yeah, million other people are asking it too, and there's already an easy answer right out there. Anyone can get it. So those aren't the interesting questions. You know, the interesting questions are the ones where you say, you know, you know, I, gee, I've noticed this interesting phenomenon in my community or in my company, and um, there's a problem that no one seems to have figured out how to deal with. And um, I don't know how to deal with it either. But it's really interesting, and I, I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to work on it for a while. That, to me, that's a beautiful question. You know, when you can find that kind of a question that doesn't have an easy answer, and you can, you can take ownership of that. That mm. can become your question. That can become your project. And that's where innovation happens. You know, so many of the innovation stories I looked at, that's exactly what was going on. Somebody, somebody out there was asking a, a, a pretty difficult question and there was no easy answer to it, and they uh, they took ownership of that question, and they stayed with it. They didn't have the answer right away. Sometimes it took them a year or, or two years to find an answer, but they stayed with it. And then when they did find an answer, they had what we what we would call an innovation. You know, they had a breakthrough. Um, that would never have happened without the question. You know, yeah. That innovation started with that question. Yeah, I think that's... Um that's definitely beautiful. I actually think even if you if you never find the answer, I think still that that curiosity, the search for that, is uh, you know is really is really powerful too, and, and um, gives gives life a lot of purpose. Yeah, I talked to uh, a, a brilliant physicist um, 
I think he works in the area in the area of string string theory, okay. um, which I know nothing about. But you know, he had told me that he there was a question he's been working on for like twenty years, and um, and he he still has no answer to it, and he's fine with that. I mean, it's it's his his life. One of his life pursuits is is pursuing that question. Hmm. Uh, and then another interesting thing was I, I happened to I had an opportunity one time to uh, to uh, do a, an interview with um, Steve uh, Wozniak, uh, okay. and. Uh, and uh, the Waz, you know, from Apple, yeah. uh, Bob's partner at Apple. And he told me a story about how, um, you know, he was, when they were, when he was designing the original Macintosh computer, he became obsessed with this question of how to eliminate a certain part within the computer just to try to streamline it even further. And um, he said it, he never was able to do it, to figure out how to do it, except. 20 years later, the answer came to him, hmm. and he realized how he could have done it. And, he, and I just thought that was fascinating, because it shows that there are questions that, you know, will, will just stay in your, in your brain for years and years, and you're working on them, even though you don't realize it. Your, your, your brain is working on that question. If, if it has penetrated really deeply, um, you're thinking about it years and years later, and you may come up, you may come up with an answer, um, after years, you know, That's or cool. as you said, maybe you never do, but it's, but it's just thinking about it for years is, is also cool in itself. Well, that's interesting. And that's another point altogether and probably topic we could chat for about another couple of hours, but you know, how the question then goes into the subconscious mind. And I certainly know by, um, you know, just resting on the question you might have rather than trying to work on it, you know, moving yourself away from that problem that yeah. you've been facing, having a sleep, um, sometimes coming back to it fresh eyes, your, your subconscious yeah. mind has already been doing the work for you, even though you have... Oh, it's very powerful. As cool. someone, uh, someone had said, uh, uh, you know, when he's working on a problem, uh, he'll boil it down to a question that he hasn't figured out, there's something he's working on today, and he will ask himself that question right before he goes to bed. Like he'll really, he'll, mm. he'll really think about the question before going to bed yeah. and um, it doesn't always work but he said there have been times when he actually wakes up with the answer to the question and so it's it's really interesting how your brain will will work on something like that your subconscious will work on it and um and and it's one of the powerful things about questions you know questions are like puzzles uh, and they're, they're our brain is challenged by questions it's almost like the question has issued a challenge to your mind, including your subconscious uh, mind, um, to try to figure this out, try to answer me. I'm a question. I'm a, I'm a puzzle. Try to figure me out. And your brain will work on that. Um, even when you don't know it's working on it. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. So good things in it. And, uh, the question I have for you is what is a beautiful question, Warren? Well, it's it's pretty subjective. Um, I have my own definition of a beautiful question that that, that I used in my book, um, which is um, I think of a beautiful question as a, a question that is that is very ambitious. Um, it's also actionable. You can actually begin to do something about it or work on it in some way, um, and it has the potential to to change something. It has the potential to shift 
thinking or to or to uh, bring about some change in the world or a change in an attitude that people might have. So it's so there's three parts to it. It's ambitious. So it's not about what color should I paint the walls of my uh, of my office. It's it's more ambitious than that. Um, actionable meaning, I tend uh, to um, I, I I tend to veer away from sort of deep philosophical questions. I'm much more interested in actionable questions. Questions where we could we could actually think about what might we begin to do about that that question how might we investigate it how could we begin to make progress on it so uh actionable is a big part hmm. and then the last part is you, you you want it to be something that has the potential to to create change ambitious actionable and um and has the ability to create change those are my three criteria for a for a beautiful uh, question is there then a right or wrong question um, well, I, I think there's certainly there are right questions, you know, and, and any question, if a question is a beautiful question, if it's, if it's one that inspires, uh, that's a right question, you know? So I have all these stories in the, in the book that are, uh, that are people saying, you know, why hasn't someone figured out a better way to do X? Well, that's a right question. That's a great question, right? And it leads to, it often leads to amazing things when someone puts that question out there into the world and takes ownership of it. Um, so those are, those are right questions. There's lots of right questions. Uh, the good question is, is there a wrong question? Um, there's a lot of debate about that. Uh, I actually think there are questions that are wrong for the moment. Um, you know, I, I, the example I would tend to give is, you know, if you're in a, a meet a group with people and you're all working on, uh, the the new product that the company has introduced or it, it wants to introduce and then someone asks you know what about our vacation policy why can't I get more vacation time um, that's a wrong question right because it's it's wrong for that situation um, yeah. you're in a group of people that are focused on something and you're throwing in you're bringing in a question that's about something else that's not about what we're talking about and and I, I you know I, I do you do encounter that a lot in the business world right you encounter people who are asked questions that um, you know they they might be the right question at another time but they're asking them at the wrong time they're asking them at a time when people are focused on something else and they don't want to deal with that that's a different issue so yeah so I think there are wrong questions you can you can ask but you do have to be careful when you talk about wrong questions because. Um, there, a lot of brilliant questions can seem like, at the time they're being asked, they can seem like naive questions, or they can seem like um, stupid questions. And in fact, they might not be at all. Like, 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 you know, the classic example might be um, people are in a meeting, in a, in a business meeting, and they're all thinking, you know, how can we, um, how can we improve? Uh, this process we're doing uh, at work, you know, we, we want to make it more efficient. And then someone will say, why are we doing this process in the first place? Right. And when they ask that question, sometimes people get really annoyed. <laughs> They'll say, oh, that's a stupid question. You know, that's pretty fundamental. Why are you asking that? But in reality, sometimes those are really great questions to ask because you need someone sometimes to challenge the assumptions or to 
get you to step back and look at really fundamental issues mm. that you haven't thought of, you haven't thought about them lately. So I you want to be careful about labeling something a stupid question or a, or a bad question because you have to be really careful about those really brilliant questions that might appear at first to be dumb questions. They might appear to be naive when in fact they're actually great questions because they're they're causing you to step back and go back to basics and question something really fundamental. Yeah. I, I know there's, and I don't know if it was you or someone else, but they said the worst question or the wrong question is the, is the question not asked at all. Um, well, that's true too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that, yeah, that's a, that's a, I think that happens every day in the business world that there are questions that don't get asked and yeah. because they don't, and, and when they don't get asked, problems often ensue. Hmm. Um, and then someone later on will say, oh, if only I'd asked that question. You know, why didn't I ask that question? You know, uh, why didn't I, when we were in the meeting, why didn't I ask, you know, um, why are we having problems with this particular part? It seems to be failing us. And, you know, wh- what are we going to do about it? And people are afraid to ask that question. and then ends up, And then it ends up being a big problem because the the thing they were worried about does become a big problem and they didn't ask about it. They didn't bring it up. So I think uh, oftentimes, yeah, the, the question that, that goes unasked, um, is, uh, it can be a, it can turn into a big problem. Hmm. So the final question, well, one of the final questions is how, how can we, or what sort of quick tips do you have for us to start asking better questions in our, our own lives? Well, you know, it's it's really a matter of um, slowing down. You know, I think questioning is a uh, is a uh, 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 an activity that uh, involves uh, slow thinking, um, and so we're used to moving very quickly in our lives and and making assumptions. And so, part of the habit of becoming a better questioner is is getting yourself to um, slow down your rhythms a little bit. Uh, Pay a little more attention to what's going on around you, um, whether it's uh, your job, uh, certain processes or things you're doing at your job, or whether it's in your own life. Um, that's a big part of, of becoming a better questioner. Uh, then I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's about being willing to uh, ask a question, uh, even though you might be a little uneasy about it, you're just kind of forcing yourself to go ahead and ask that question anyway yep. and see what happens, you know, take, take the risk. As you do that, you will become more and more comfortable hmm. asking more questions. So, um, so it's, it's really about just making time for it and then making the effort, uh, making the effort to actually express a question that's on your mind. Um, getting into the habit of thinking about your questions, uh, don't don't take your questions lightly. Um, think about them. Think uh, think about how they're worded. Think about whether the question can be made a little bit more specific, or a little bit more ambitious, or uh, whether it can be made a little smarter by doing some research so that you can uh, add some depth to the question. So I think those are a few things we can do on our own to uh, to become uh, uh, better at questioning. The main thing with questioning is the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. It's, it's like any uh, activity, you know. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a habit uh, that we need to um, get into uh, doing. And as we do more of it, 
it will become more natural to us and we'll get better at it. Mm, yeah, the practice practice of questions. Warren, I've got a few quick round questions for you. Thank you for, for sharing so much. Um, I'm going to put all the links to your books in the show notes. So for everyone listening out there, um, a powerful book was a, a more beautiful question for me. Um, I look forward to uh, re- receiving and reading the next book, uh, the book of beautiful questions as well. And I believe Glimmer was quite a popular read as well. So check it out, guys, thehiddenwide.com. The links in the show notes. Support the show by using those links. That would be great. Uh, Warren, what is a routine that you have that you believe contributes to your success? Um, I think I mentioned it earlier. I'll I'll mention it again because it's so important to me. Um, Cutting myself off for uh, uh, designated periods of time so that I can be alone in a quiet space to think and to create. Um, That is very important for myself. I think it's important for everyone especially if you consider yourself to be a, uh, a creative person or a, um, an innovative person, uh, a problem-solving person. If you are of that mindset, then you need to give your mind the right uh, time and space to, mm. to be able to. Yeah, definitely. What, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh, my 20-year-old self. I, you know, I think my advice would be to uh, uh, take more risks. You know, when, when I was uh, 20 years old, I was a little bit risk averse. And uh, uh, when I was starting my career, I was uh, extremely focused on, uh, you know, um, bringing in a steady paycheck and having, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, climbing a little ladder or whatever. You know, I was I was very focused on things like that. And uh, and it took a long time for me to realize that, um, you know, success for me would come when I was willing to. Uh, take bigger risks, take on projects that might ha- not, might not have immediate payoffs, but that would allow me to really uh, use my talents. Mm. And so, so yeah, my advice to my twenty year old self would be, uh, you know, uh, don't think don't think short term. Uh, take more risks. Think about uh, doing big big projects. Take more risks. What would you define as success, or how would you define success? I just define success as uh, feeling uh, fulfilled and 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 uh, in your work and uh, and in your life, uh, feeling feeling like you're you're doing what you want to be doing, and you're maybe hopefully making a contribution in some way to the to the world around you. Do you have a a productivity tool, technique, or practice that helps you with your overall effectiveness, other than taking the time out to create and think? Um, I do a lot of advanced planning on when I'm working on something. I create a lot of outlines. I, I sketch a lot of things. I uh, so I do a lot of um, uh, uh, I do a lot of pre work before I before I write, and that seems to help me in my in my uh, writing in my productivity preparation there. Yeah, and outlines especially. That's the secret to my success. Is do do lots of outlines, yeah. and that helps to clarify my uh, my thinking and just to shift it a little bit here what would um if it was your last meal what meal would you request oh gosh well i was thinking about this the other day and i think um i i've, I've given up a, a steak for health reasons but i think if i if i had a last meal i would uh, i would go back and and have a really great uh, steak because uh, I haven't had one in so long. <laughs> <laughs> I 
What activity gives you the greatest sense of joy? I think writing. You know, writing it gives me great joy, although it also is uh, torturous. So um, I, I go back and forth between <laughs> feeling horrible and feeling wonderful when I'm doing it. Okay. Other than your few books, what one book would you pass down to your children or future generations? Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. That's that's a tough one. One book. I mean, I I think uh, if if it were uh, if it were fiction, it might be uh, 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 Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. <laughs> I just love that book. Uh, it's a depressing book, but I loved it. it had a lot of influence on me. Um, if it's a nonfiction book, um, you know, a, a book that's recently had a big effect on me was um, uh, Daniel Kahneman's book Thinking Fast and Slow, and um, I don't know that it's a classic per se, but, uh, but it is a, I, I think it's a book everyone should read because it, um, it, it, it teaches you something very important about what's going on in your mind and in your brain. And once I read that, it, it, it changed the way I thought about my own thinking. Mm. So, um, so I think that's, that's one I'd recommend to people. Yeah. Good one. It's, um, it's quite in depth, isn't it? And lots of, yeah, I, lots of examples. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What, if you had the opportunity to text or tweet everyone in the world, what message, quote, or other would you would you send out? Well, I, I, I would uh, tell them to uh, uh, stay curious and question everything. Uh, that's kind of my, my mantra uh, for people. Do you believe we'll have a hidden why? Uh, yeah, I think we, we probably do. I, th- I think we have various levels of why. You know, I think we have the why, the why that we're working on that we already understand and, and that's driving us. Uh, and then I think there are probably uh, whys that are uh, that we haven't quite uh, figured out yet that, that that are driving us or that could be driving us. So um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's good to keep asking yourself why um, about everything you're doing and about your life and uh and you know don't be afraid to ask it don't be afraid to to search to go down and search for uh deeper meanings or diff- deeper um motivations uh and and just be willing to ask those those kinds of slightly uncomfortable questions hmm. yeah that's a good answer the various levels of why what what if I was to ask you what the underlying motivation is behind everything you do? What would you think that is? The underlying motivation behind everything. Oh gosh, the underlying motivation behind everything. Um, you know, I, a, a lot of it is is uh, is just trying to figure out new things. You know, a lot of what what keeps me working on uh, new projects and new books is is just trying to figure out how to how to understand something new or to do something that I, 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 I'm not doing already. So I think that drives a, a lot of what I do. And, and where, where I have to watch out for is, you know, is getting too much into a rut where I'm not uh, learning and maybe covering the same ground over and over again. And that's when I, I, have, I have problems. So I think that, you know, what's, what's giving me the motivation for me is just um, – is is learning new stuff yeah sounds like you're all about it mate look warren it's been an absolute pleasure guys it's warren Berger. um how can they best reach you warren uh best place is just through my my website uh you know it's uh 
It's amorebeautifulquestion.com, and uh, all one word, a more beautiful question. Um, And, uh, you know, what you'll find there is just a a storehouse of of, uh, all kinds of stuff about questioning, you know, articles and uh, think pieces and essays and quizzes you can take. And uh, I even have a, a list of songs that have questions for a title. And if anyone knows any, um, please add to my list. The list is getting up near 100 songs now. Um, and uh, But, you know, it's just I, everything to do with questioning. I've just kind of brought it into this one site. And so it's a, it's a fun place to bounce around and, hmm. and, and check out what's there. And then while you're there, you can, you can write to me. There's a place to get in touch with me off the site. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. Um, my, uh, my Twitter handle is GlimmerGuy, all one word, GlimmerGuy. So, um, yeah, so that, that's how you can reach me. Yeah, cool. It is actually, I was about to say, it's a, it is a fun, a fun website to explore. So go check it out, guys. I'll stick the link in, in the show notes at the Hidden Wire as well if you don't have that written down. But pretty simple, a morebeautifulquestion.com. Uh, Warren, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time today. Listen, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com. This is episode 733 with Warren Berger. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon